You are listening to the Lit and Lucid Podcast, brought to you by Yoohoo Brand. Here's your host, Lucy and Jared. Welcome everybody to the Lit and Lucid Podcast. We are here recording live with our friend Andrew Duffy. He is the CEO and founder of Best and Grow. What's up, Andrew? Hey guys, how you doing? Thanks for having me. Absolutely, man. Glad you joined us today. All right. Well, we're super excited to learn about Best and Grow. Um, I heard you on another podcast kind of explain it as a mixture between Slack and Facebook and a data, uh, data analytics tool, um, but it's really a workforce management tool for dispensaries, brands, bud tenders, all of the above, consumers maybe. Um, so it's the first software tool designed to understand and influence customer behavior in the store. Uh, so I know that it's probably much more complex than that, so we're going to dive <laughs> into that. Um, Andrew has a background. He attended Harvard where he studied behavioral economics and clinical psychology. So I have an understanding that you might have used some more of that psychology to understand, you know, dive into why customers are buying the things that they're buying and kind of tracking that through data analytics. So we're excited to learn more. Um, I'm going to throw it over to you and you can maybe give us a little bit more about your background, how you ended up in the cannabis industry and how we ended up with Best and Grow. Totally. Uh, so. My co-founder, uh, Jake Levin, and I uh, both graduated from Harvard together in 2016. Um, and I had studied behavioral economics, psychology. I was really fascinated with the way, just like you said, in which consumers make decisions and all the different influence points that a consumer has throughout their journey from, I've decided I'm going to purchase a product to I'm going to purchase this product to I'm going to repurchase that product again. Um, there are so many different steps in that journey and so many different ways to understand why they did or didn't make a decision at a given point. Um, so I'm really fascinated with that. Uh, my co-founder, Jake, uh, similarly, uh, he studied social psychology and government. So uh, he's always been really interested in the way that policy and people interact, the way that regulatory structures affect how people behave. Um, and that was something that really fascinated us both about the cannabis industry was how uh, a huge regulatory change led to an environment that was open for massive amounts of innovation and so much white space for entrepreneurs to come in and do something that was not only unique in the cannabis industry, but also unique in industries more broadly. Mm -hmm. um, so Jake and I both, after we graduated, went on to work in uh, Big Bad East Coast Finance. Uh, I worked at a hedge fund, he worked at a, a private equity shop, and we really appreciated the challenge there, appreciated the things that we learned there, but ultimately felt like we were putting a lot of mental energy and a lot of brain power towards something that we weren't very passionate about. Um, something we were passionate about was cannabis. So when we saw that it was such a burgeoning opportunity and a place where we could come in and really make something new from the ground up, we thought, there's no way we could miss this. Um, so we both just picked up, got in my car, packed it up with all of our worldly possessions, drove out to Colorado, uh, stopped in Boulder because we uh, knew a cultivator out there who would let us stay at their house, um, and then basically spent the next couple of months learning as much as we could, as much as we possibly could about the cannabis industry. Everything that was a problem for dispensaries, for brands, for everybody who we could possibly get to sit down with us for five minutes. Yeah. Um, so. By the time we were kind of finished with that whole process, we realized that the same problem everybody has is a problem that exists across industries. It's not just in cannabis. It's managing and making people effective. Um, with the dispensary, particularly a brick and mortar retail operation, your people are your business. The bud tender is the face of your business to everybody that walks in, mm -hmm. and they are 90% of the experience that your customer has. Mm -hmm. So we really focused in on how can we use our experience with technology and behavioral economics to help everyone in cannabis optimize 
for that customer experience, make everything better and make everything simpler. Put it all into one software tool so you're not right. using text, you're not using email, you're not using Slack, you're not using the G Drive, you're doing all of that in one place. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I could totally attest to that. I really love what you said earlier about how, you know, the regulations and just the nature of cannabis in general created a lot of opportunities and avenues for entrepreneurs. And a lot of it was just coming down, sitting down here, talking to the people, finding out what their problems are because there's there's a plethora on multiple different angles. And basically, you and Jake found a way to use your background, which is huge, uh, and also apply it to a new industry and also develop a platform that's going to solve problems right out of the gate that are actually very challenging, very uh, you know high-level problems to solve. So... Um, you know, I think that that doesn't happen every day. So I think, you know, you guys are obviously on, on your toes and found opportunity. Um, and you ended up, uh, you know, I really want to touch on the Canopy Boulder stuff. We'll touch mm-hmm. down on that a little bit later. Uh, but you ended up at Canopy Boulder, which I think was huge. It's a great place with a lot of innovations coming out of. And mm-hmm. um, so, you know, how, how has that been, you know, developing now best and grow from the time you guys, you know, incepted it from your ideas and research? Totally. So uh, I think that probably the most important thing about that whole entrepreneurial process and something that was really instilled in us in a serious way in Canopy Boulder was the idea of iteration. You can't imagine that your product from day one is going to be as great as the vision that you have for it in your head. You have to be very comfortable having simultaneously a vision for something that's going to be unique and that's going to change the world and that's going to be the ultimate product that everyone's going to love using. But you also have to be totally willing in the practical realities of, okay, I've got 500 bucks and two days to do this. How am I going to get it done? You have to be able to figure out how you can make something that people can use, can get their hands on, can actually see and touch and feel and, and, and figure out if it's helping them. And then through time, iterate and improve that using feedback from those people to then get to your big grand vision at the end. Mm -hmm. Um, Because what I think a lot of entrepreneurs do is they fall in love with their solution. They think, oh, I've got the best solution. You have to use it. If you're not using it, it doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. You should be in love with the problem. You should say, okay, this is a problem that everyone has told me exists. I need to be able to fix this problem. I'm going to try to fix it in 10 different ways. I'm going to figure out which three ways were the best, and then I'm gonna take that, test each of those ways again, figure out which way was the best to solve that. And then through that process, you learn way more than you ever could have just thinking idly about what it is that would make these people's lives easier. Uh, You really have to get it in their hands in a way that makes it easy for them to tell you, yeah, this is working or this isn't working. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a great quote uh, from Henry Ford, which is that if he had asked people what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. Like they wouldn't have wanted cars. Yeah, it's crazy. (laughs) Like, yeah, it's it's very rare that a person actually knows what the best solution to their problem will be. And that's Mm -hmm. why entrepreneurs exist to figure out what people's problems are and kind of help them find those solutions through yeah. that iterative process. So with that in mind, I mean, what was the, uh, you know, what was the conversation like when you were approaching dispensaries and cannabis brands, you know, were they open to it? Did they have an idea of how can we fix this problem or how yeah. did that all go? Yeah. So we focused on a really, really small piece of the problem that existed, not necessarily only in dispensaries, but in the relationship between brands and dispensaries. Um, because that's a huge and really important relationship and is one that, you know, across cannabis is a little dislocated by regulatory barriers. It's a little dislocated by the newness of the industry um, and the lack of a, a traditional distribution framework that exists in a lot of other industries. But um, what we found was that, you know, brands were making a lot of products. They were pushing a bunch of samples to dispensaries, hoping to figure out if those dispensaries like those products or not. 
the bud tenders would try them or maybe the managers would just take them. You don't really know. It's kind of a black box. And brands are spending so much money doing that and getting no data back. Mm -hmm. And it ended up just being a hassle for dispensaries because they'd have yeah. piles and piles of samples dropped in their dispensary. Mm -hmm. And to be compliant, you can't just kind of toss those around. You have to put those into a system and there has to be a good way to deal with that. Um, so we saw on both sides of that problem, a really easy way to make a super simple, literally one functionality platform for, hey, we're gonna send you a sample. Hey, we're gonna give you feedback on that sample through mm -hmm. this application. It was quite literally a type form that we had you know, stood up in a couple of days. Um, Jake will be mad that mm -hmm. he stood it up and it took more than a couple of days. But uh, <laughs> in any case, we, we did kind of the most MVP, the most minimum viable product that we could possibly do. And through that, we found on the brand side that, yeah, this information was really helpful to them, but what they really wanted to do was communicate directly with those bud tenders, have conversations, have relationships, and get more of a two-way information stream where they could not only pull information from them, but also push information and educate and help mm -hmm. them with their job. Um, and on the dispensary side, we found that when they used it, it was useful to them, but they weren't using it because it didn't accommodate all of the other things they had to do in the dispensary and sample management was not the most important thing they had to do. Yeah. So from there, we were able to, understanding the flaws in that MVP and the ways that it wasn't working for people, then figure out, okay, next feature is gonna be this. So yeah. in the dispensary we figured, okay, let's figure out some way to consolidate their messaging and then their files and then everything else. Um, so we were able to figure out by getting those dispensaries to force rank, this is what's most important to us. Mm -hmm. Okay, these are the features we're going to build in for dispensaries. And through that, we were able to build a network and kind of a marketplace where bud tenders could also interact directly with brands because they're on their phones using this application all day to manage their tasks, to manage their schedule, to manage their files, to ask questions, to do pretty much everything. Um, so that was really what we came down to was that we needed to consolidate all those operations into one thing at the base of their stack of softwares because you know yeah. dispensary today is using five to ten different software programs mm -hmm. to operate their business which right. is insane it's it's a huge waste of time to be switching between those tasks and it's really challenging for them to manage all those subscriptions yeah. so we figured hey let's put it all in one place cool i think that's huge yeah and I think it's something that's like extremely necessary. When I was working in sales, that's how it was. It was just in order to complete a sale, I was working across, you know, probably three or four at the time. You know, I have to put my order in, I have to go to an inventory sheet, mm -hmm. do it separately, have to go submit the order separately, have to get in metric, do it separately. The payment collection on the back end was totally separate and nothing talked to each other. Mm -hmm. And so that was my biggest pain point immediately as well. And I think it slows a lot of people down, especially in a new industry. It's so heavily regulated that a lot of these companies that I would go around and, you know, they were still operating off of spreadsheets because they couldn't afford a monthly subscription. They couldn't, exactly. you know, buy all these different things to try to piece it all together because it didn't really make sense mm -hmm. monetarily and then also time-wise. Yep. And so I think what you've done here is almost streamline the communication aspect and almost like simply across the board. Everybody can communicate with each other with internally, externally. Uh, between brands, things like that. I think that's huge. Totally. And the a big part of that, the value of that communication is the idea of kind of verification and industry specificity because there are a lot of tools that you can use to communicate. Uh, you know, there's text, there's Slack, there's LinkedIn, there's Facebook, there's whatever you want to do to, to just send a message to somebody. It's probably the most common feature of any application. Um, but when you build in specificity of other features, just like you were saying, understanding more about the cannabis supply chain and using that to build in features that make it really, really useful, that's kind of the bread and butter of a, of a platform like this is the ability to consistently build towards what would be the perfect tool that if they had only this tool, they could do literally everything. Like that's the goal. What we see in the future is let's optimize from end to end every piece of the dispensaries operations and further beyond that brand operations, extractor operations. 
um, and really help them to understand everything that's happening in their dispensary with respect to their employees, all the stuff that they have complete control over. And kind of as we're building out new features now and expanding the, the use case, we're starting to make it more about, okay, now you need to understand all the data that's coming into your store from your customer. What is your customer doing? What are they looking at when they come into your store? What advertisements are making them think about purchasing from your dispensary? What advertisements in the store are making them think about purchasing this or that product? So understanding all that, being able to test all the different ways that you're interacting with your customers and your employees is, is really huge for businesses like that. So let's step back just a little bit and talk about like from a consumer standpoint, mm -hmm. like why is this important to them and kind of how do we get to this point? Uh, so I saw on the information you sent us that 92% of consumers take exact recommendations from bud tenders. Exact. Yeah. That's wow. a huge number. Yeah. And so for those who don't live in a legal state, basically, uh, I mean, the bud tenders are your gatekeepers. You're going to go in there. You're going to look at, you know, hundreds of products, maybe top to bottom. A lot. Yeah. But so yeah. many. That's a lot of products. You don't even know what you're looking at, really. Um, and basically, if your product wasn't, you know, if... So I used to work for a company, Toast, and like it was hard to sell because it was one of you know 500 products. And if your bud tender wasn't on board to pitch every single customer every single time on CBD pre-rolls, you're not going to make the sale and nobody even knows that it's an option. Exactly. So those bud tenders are very, very important for the brands to make the sale. So maybe explain to us a little bit more about what that conundrum is. Totally. Um, and I think you put out a perfect example, Toast. It's, it's a... Uh, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, it's a low-dose THC product when it has THC in it and it's a CBD product otherwise. So those low-dose THC products are actually some of the most challenging products to get into the market because bud tenders, who are the people who are mm -hmm. telling customers what they should or shouldn't purchase, generally have very high tolerance Absolutely. to THC, which means that when they consume your product and you're making a 2.5 milligram microdose edible, they literally can't feel it. They right. cannot say to a consumer, I really like this right. product, because they have no idea if it actually worked for them or not. They'd have to consume 10 of them or 100 of them. Um, so the big challenge for a lot of brands is going past the bud tender, who is that conduit, that gatekeeper, but is a particular demographic of people. It's generally young white males, and it's generally people who have very high THC tolerance, mm -hmm. and that doesn't reflect the end consumer that that brand is trying to reach. Right. So when the bud tender is making 92% of the purchasing decisions at the point of sale, but the consumers do not reflect what the bud tenders are like, you have a massive dislocation for brands who want to make sure that they're making a product that potentially women would like, or potentially older people would like, or potentially people who just want a microdose in the morning would like. Um, so that dislocation is the biggest challenge for brands and they spend massive amounts of money. 80% of a brand's marketing budget is going to be on contacting and trying to get bud tenders on their side. Um, so what we wanted to do is not only help educate bud tenders about how they should be dealing with these products and how they should be positioning them for people who aren't necessarily like themselves, um, but also to help those bud tenders give feedback to brands about the best ways for them to educate them about their products. Um, you know, bud tenders don't want to read a PDF and do a quiz. Nobody wants to do that. That's, right. not, an that's not an interesting way to learn about a product. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, the ways that we try to educate bud tenders surround much more discussion and sort of social engagement, ways that are much more memorable and will, in general, train them to be much more effective at distributing information about those products and putting themselves into the shoes of the consumer that they're recommending that product to. Mm -hmm. um, and that's just a sales skills thing. That's something mm -hmm. that salespeople mm -hmm. have been having to learn how to do for millennia, literally. Um, so when you have a bud tender that's coming into a new industry, is very passionate about cannabis, but has no experience in retail, it's often a rude awakening. They're often frustrated. They don't feel like 
they've been trained in the right way to do mm-hmm. what they have to do. They don't feel like they have enough information about, like you guys were saying, the 150 SKUs that they have in the dispensary <laughs> to be able to recommend to someone this lollipop versus this lollipop. Um, and that's stressful. That's yeah. really, really stressful. And it's yeah. a lot of pressure. Um, so we empathize a lot with bud tenders and we feel like the more you can give them that information at their fingertips, the more empowered they feel to do what it is they care about, which is distributing cannabis to people who need it and making sure they have a great experience. Right. Um, so we really want to touch on each part of that dislocation, like solve the problem for the bud tender, make them feel like they can do their job well, solve the problem for the brand, make them feel like the bud tenders are good representatives for them. Mm-hmm. I think that's huge. I mean, it's such a compounded problem and one that we've heard a lot in Lucid. You know, we were talking to you before the show and uh, we literally had one of our past uh, guests on the show. They have a flower company and they just went and bought a dispensary on their own just to bypass the problem because yep. they seen that. They seen where the bud tenders weren't pushing their product and I wouldn't even say pushing it, but they were, you know, either favored or they just wanted the highest THC or saying, hey, you know, this one's 32%, you know, buy it when necessarily, you know, 32% is not going to be the best thing for you. Yeah. Um, and I think it's just misinformation like that that's important. And as legalization continues to spread, I think having the correct information, regardless of what industry you're in, but especially in cannabis, having the correct information to move forward is key. And I think understanding the different aspects of it, you know, how terpenes affect your high, how cannabinoids affect your high, what products you know, how they're made, you know, what, what's in the products, you know, are the ingredients organic and sustainably grown? Is this, you know, are these just, you know, made with packaging that's fair trade produced and, you know, good for the environment, things like that. I think there's a lot of questions that have to be answered. And I think this platform does a great job of, you know, carrying on that conversation and really like, you know, addressing the elephant in the room of, you know, why isn't my product selling to the people that I need to be sold to? The people are going to dispensaries, what's happening? Totally. And, like that. and that's interesting that you say that because that is, a problem in many industries is not a problem just mm-hmm. in cannabis. It's a problem in any industry where there are a ton of choices that are really difficult to decide between if you don't have experience with every single product on the shelf. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, bud tenders are highly influential in cannabis, but uh, people who work at REI, who are yeah. kind of sports ambassadors, they're extremely influential as well. People who work at Sephora and distribute women's mm-hmm. makeup, they're extremely influential. People who work at GNC and know a lot about protein, mm-hmm. like what different whey protein isolates or, or different chemicals that you can use to enhance your workouts and your recovery, like they're extremely influential as well. And we see this as a way for us to kind of build out a platform in cannabis that can solve that problem across retail of educating those important frontline employees and making sure that they're being managed in a totally seamless and effective way to make sure that those customers then, like you're saying, come in there, have a great experience, like that product, and that rising tide raises all boats. Because if you have a customer who comes in and has a terrible experience with an edible because they got recommended you know, a, a difficult to divide high dose product and you know, had a panic attack in their hotel room, like that's not something that's fun and that's not something that's gonna make them wanna ever have cannabis again. Absolutely. So as the market expands and more people come in, more different types of people, like diverse people come into the cannabis industry, you have to be able to accommodate them and empathize with them or else the whole industry is just gonna stop in its tracks. Yeah. Well, do you think that, I mean, with the bud tender, it's kind of like, you know, like the lowest position in the dispensaries. So like we're putting a lot on these bud tenders, like That's all true, of this yeah. education. I mm-hmm. know what most of them get paid. It's not that much. So it's like there's so many disparities. And it's like to me, I'm thinking of kind of like you as like when you were a salesperson, you were like making commissions. You had like a higher level salary. To me, that makes more sense because of all the things that are going into it versus I make $12, $15 an hour and I have to push a hundred products all day and be educated on terpenes and cannabinoid profiles and the endocannabinoid system. And 
Totally. It's so frustrating. I mean, it's it's terrible. Well, and the bud tender is, we say it all the time, the most underappreciated, the most underpaid person in the cannabis industry. Literally make the cannabis industry run. They're the people who are at the front lines doing everything. Every day. Doing everything. Like, they're not only doing all the things that have to get customers cannabis products. They're doing all the things that keep the dispensary open. Like, they're checking IDs. They're rolling pre-rolls. They're doing all of the work in the dispensary. And the fact that they are, in many ways, belittled and sort of disavowed by their upper-level management is extremely frustrating to us and was one of the dynamics that was the most upsetting to us in uh, the cannabis industry as we started to gather more information about it. So one of the things that we care about a lot is the ability to create uh, not only a mindset in dispensary operators that bud tenders are valuable and you should pay good bud tenders better money because they're not only protecting your investment from the perspective of compliance, yeah. but they're also the reason why you sell any cannabis at all. So hold on to your good ones and mm-hmm. make them better and help to enrich their, their sort of job environment. Right. Um, but also the idea that those you know subset of bud tenders that are so engaged with improving their ability to provide a great customer experience and learn more about cannabis products, they need to be identified in some way. There needs to be some differentiating factor and some differentiating data that you can use to indicate, hey, I'm a very high level bud tender and I deserve to be paid more. Um, And there's kind of that frustrating regulatory issue of commissioning, like you can't really commission bud tender sales. Um, But there are many, many other ways that you can reward and encourage employees and make that employment environment way, way, way more enjoyable. Um, and that's kind of another thing that we like to really focus on in the platform is creating community, making people feel like they're part of a team that matters mm-hmm. and that they have input into decisions that are happening kind of at the upper level. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a really interesting, have you guys heard of the website Glassdoor? Mm-hmm. Yes, it's a job reviews website. Um, we did a research paper about all of the, uh, basically scraped all the information of bud tenders who had reviewed having having quit their dispensary or been fired from their dispensary, reviewed it in in retrospect. Um, And we found such a consistent stream of, you know, three or four particular issues, which were all about communication, education, knowing what they need to do, feeling like they had any input into the decision-making or at least any visibility into the decision-making. And it's so easy to make that the reality of an organization you just have to put in some effort so it's all about making those kind of upper level management people think hey these people are valuable they're driving my business i'm going to put in the effort to make their lives better absolutely and i love that you said it's full circle because once you start engaging the employees i think everybody feels it's not only the consumers but it's the brands and and you know the vendors that are coming interacting with those bud tenders it's the sales it's you know everybody being in a happy environment and i think all that stuff just you know compounds and snowballs snowballs into a a much better company in general. Totally. The one that people want to go shop, the one that people want to go work there and tell their friends about, yeah. which is huge. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of what I would call like the vending machine conundrum. Like theoretically, you could replace every point of sale retail worker with a vending machine. And that would be good for companies that have a terrible environment for their workers. And as such, their workers don't like working there, don't aren't able to empathize with their customers, don't provide a good customer experience, and just don't want to be doing what they're doing. But in reality, what that's doing is limiting your ability to use that human aspect to improve your customer's experience mm-hmm. so massively. Okay. Like if you're training your people effectively and they wanna be there and they wanna do what they're doing, they will go above and beyond and create human connections and relationships that actually lead to customer loyalty mm-hmm. rather than 
just trying to maximize your profit based on the ins the inputs and outputs like it's a Absolutely. it's a very frustrating dynamic in my mind to see people trying to turn their brick and mortar retail operations into like a website like websites can optimize every pixel on the screen that you see to make sure that you do a particular thing but brick and mortar retail instead of going towards that can optimize for the actual like relationships and experiences mm -hmm. that happen in the store. Yeah. Um, and that's a dynamic that we're seeing with a lot of online retailers actually creating brick and mortar stores like Bonobos mm -hmm. or um, you know things that were digitally native like Cotopaxi or Warby Parker, all these companies creating in-store experiences to try and generate those relationships. Um, yeah. So I think people who have brick and mortar retail stores kind of feel a squeeze from online retail, but in reality, they have a massive opportunity in front of them. Yeah. I mean, from a marketing standpoint, you know, I, I don't, I mean, at the end of the day, we're all humans and who's going to buy your product? It's going to be a human. And so, you know, I don't think we can ever forget that human element. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it's so important in the sales aspect, it's so important in the marketing aspect. Uh, I don't think it's going to go anywhere. So, you know, bud tenders are probably here to stay and you might as well start caring about your bud tenders now because in, you know, a year they're still going to be just as important, if not more important. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's a big piece of it too, is that if you don't care about them now, they're not going to be there. Anymore. They're, 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 they're going to leave. The they're going to quit. You're not going to have any bud tenders. Yeah. Bud tender turnover is something like three months on average <laughs> in, uh, in Colorado. Like mm -hmm. they're quitting after three months. That's Crazy. not only like ridiculous, you should have a much better worker experience than that. But also, it's a huge cost. Like, that is so much lost revenue. Not only because it costs $2,000 to hire and train a new bud tender, but also because if you think about the productivity gains of a bud tender through time as they get better and better at their job, there is then a huge dislocation where your bud tender who was selling $50 per average ticket price is now a new bud tender who's selling $10 per average ticket price. So yeah. you need to make sure that you're thinking really seriously about the value of the people that are in your organization. You may think they're disposable, but they're not. Mm -hmm. And if you think they're disposable, your dispensary is going to collapse and it's going to be gobbled up by LiveWell or Native Roots or yeah. one of these big companies that's consolidating all the mom and pops that aren't taking that need seriously. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a very real thing. And it's funny, uh, it reminded me a lot of our conversation we had with Sarah Bouvier and mm. Sarah Howard in regards to millennials in the employment, um, in cannabis employment. It was like yeah. the exact same conversation. Yeah, oh, care about your employees. Care. Yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, it's not like that big of a thing to ask, I guess. It shouldn't be, but, it's, but it seems to be. It's right. interesting. There's an interesting, <laughs> like, there's a, there's a narrative that millennials, because they desire a work environment of that type, are entitled, but I think that entitlement is not really the right word to use to describe it. It's more so that they have a very clear instinct mm -hmm. for what is going to make them effective and productive. And whether or not you like it, you have to read that and understand that because that's your workforce. So if you can't say to someone who says, hey, I want to I want to care about my team and I want the yeah. team to care about me, if you can't say to them, yes, the team cares about you and you should care about the team then you're not going to be able to hire and effectively train millennial workers. You're just not going to be able to do it. And pretty much the same goes with Gen Z. Like they are sort of mini millennials, except they have shorter attention spans. So you have to be able to even more effectively engage those people. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, you can try to switch to robots, but people who are effectively engaging and using people are going to be more effective than people who are using robots, in my opinion. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's a dynamic workforce still. Yeah. Well, that's great. Yeah. Well, let's um, let's briefly touch on you know the experience with Canopy Boulder Accelerator. Oh, yeah. I think that's uh, you know it's a really cool thing. We haven't had a guest on that's been through it yet, so 
I think, you know, it's something that's, that's huge in the industry. We've had a lot of, you know, BDS analytics. I've used them a ton. They mm-hmm. came through the accelerator. Yep. Um, there's a lot of cool companies coming out of it. So, you know, how was your experience in the accelerator? Yeah. So our experience in the accelerator was about as good as I could have expected. Um, better than I expected going into it for sure. It, um, you know, as a bit of background, we came into that accelerator with barely an idea, like vaguely an idea of what did we, of what we wanted to do. Um, and they not only taught us how we could turn an idea into an MVP, turn that MVP into an effective product, iterate through time to make that product into your vision. Like that sort of entrepreneurial framework was a huge thing that they taught us there. Um, but also they helped us with so many of the practical realities of being an entrepreneur from fundraising to having conversations with the massive network of cannabis uh, businesses that they're connected with. Mm-hmm. Um, all that stuff was just a huge boost for us and made quite literally an accelerator. It, it I think was, you know, two years worth of progress that we made in four months. Um, awesome. So yeah, it was a, it was a really, really great experience. And beyond that, I mean, the, uh, sort of a big thing that I talk about a lot with respect to entrepreneurships. Like if entrepreneurs come to me and say, Hey, what do you think I should watch out for? It's your emotional stability. Like that's the thing that I've struggled with the most by far as an entrepreneur is maximizing the degree to which I feel like I'm in control of my emotional environment and I'm sort of on a good, I'm at a good level at all times because it's very easy to feel one day like you are Mm -hmm. the king of the world, the most Mm -hmm. incredible entrepreneur. And then the next day to feel like you've made a huge mistake. You never should have done this. Why did you do this? Mm -hmm. I want to give up. I want to do literally anything else. Um, And having a support network of other entrepreneurs who have been through that and are literally going through that at the exact same time Mm -hmm. was massive. That was so, so important. And obviously, you know, having a co-founder is kind of an even more intense version of that, but having a network of entrepreneurs around you is really important. Mm -hmm. And having the advice of the managing directors there, um, Patrick Ray and Micah Tatman, who have invested in, you know, almost a hundred companies now through the Canopy Accelerator and have seen all of their life paths, um, you know, have built or helped build companies like BDS, like Front Range Biosciences, these like work, like these big, very successful ancillary companies and have also seen companies that nobody's ever heard of because they failed completely and, you know, spiraled and and died. So their ability to demonstrate to you through that sort of data-driven model of like, this is what these companies did and this is what happened. Mm -hmm. This is what these companies did and this is what happened is extremely important. Um, So yeah, I I don't think I could recommend that experience enough. That's That's amazing. And I love that you brought that up because I don't think it's something that's talked about enough in the entrepreneur world. And literally Lucy and I was having, we were having that conversation this morning of like the ups and downs of being an entrepreneur. I, I, just, I gave me goosebumps when he said it. I know, literally this like morning, everything. yeah. And yeah. It, it was, uh, you know, I had a bad moment this morning where I was like, my Lord, you know, like, you know, rough, are we making the right decision? You know, I stepped out in November and decided to start my own company. And, you know, totally like you said, like hit it off to a T of like one day you're like, oh my goodness, I'm doing this, you know, and this is crazy. And it like feels like you're on a roller coaster and you're just, you're riding a bike for the first time. You're like, this is the greatest thing I've ever done. Why didn't I do this sooner? Yep. The next day it all comes crashing down and you're like, my God. Should I go apply to jobs today? <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, try to exactly. like text like all the clients and be like, you know what, grad maybe. School, what's up with grad school? Yeah, yeah grad school. What do we have? <laughs> exactly. You know, you start calling your friends like, you guys just need any help? You know, stuff like that. And it's like, what am I doing? And, you know, within a couple of minutes, I quickly grounded myself, luckily. Mm-hmm. And luckily, you know, those are things that I've built into my life. Like you said, you know, it's very important you have those things built in. But quickly grounded myself and, you know, very quickly, actually. 
and you get more focused again and you're like you know what that's just your head talking to yourself you don't yeah. need that you know there's you know look at all these great things you're doing and look at all these you know things you've overcome and you know give her hell you know totally. you don't let you, you don't let yourself hold yourself and back patience like that's patience all i ever so say it's like, patience is huge if we Lord. just keep doing this today what's going to happen today next year yeah. like six months from now but if yeah. we don't if we stop doing what we're doing today then there's nothing tomorrow like, totally so that's what we say like on the podcast all the time like literally just go out just and go do, do it, it. if you yeah. have an idea or something you want to do or you're compassionate about just do it do it consistently well yeah. it's interesting because yeah. almost in all ways as an entrepreneur i think that it's like the number one skill of an entrepreneur, I think, is the ability to hold in your head two ideas that are totally in conflict and think that that's reasonable and like use that yeah, as absolutely. your fuel. So like you have to simultaneously be extremely patient and like this will come, it will come when it comes and I'm just going to work towards it and extremely impatient. Like mm -hmm. this needs to happen it faster. Need we need to do this. This yeah. has to happen today. We have to do it however we can. Um, and that holds across tons and tons of things that you have to do. You have to be a visionary, but you also have to be practical. You have to spend when you need to, but you also have to scrape and be as lean as possible. Mm -hmm. um, so the ability to manage that duality, I think, is a kind of unique thing that nobody really talks about for entrepreneurs because a lot of the most famous entrepreneurs are total outliers. They are Steve Jobs, who's a total jerk and probably can't, like, would be a horrible person to work with. And yeah, he's a visionary, but mm -hmm. if you build a culture like that in your entrepreneurial journey, it's going to be totally toxic and 99% of the time, it's not going to be Apple, it's going to fail. Mm -hmm. um, so being able to effectively understand like, who am I and how should I best tackle this journey without the need to compare yourself to everybody else around you mm -hmm. and you know the need to do it in this particular way or that particular way mm -hmm. and just really like wed yourself to the fact that this is an opportunity rather than the fact that yeah theoretically there are consequences if it doesn't go well absolutely um, yeah but then what you have to face is there's you know the biggest consequence of all is you're gonna die someday and yeah. you know, I'd, I'd rather give her hell and, and give it a shot and see what i can do now than than you know live with the regret later and that's really what motivates me to do it every day and wake up every day and and give her a hell so i can keep yeah. saying that's all you gotta totally. do you just gotta do it you've got two things two actual things that you can expend throughout your life they're time and attention mm -hmm. and everything else is a result of that money is a result of time and attention like fun is a result of time and attention mm -hmm. relationships are a result of time and attention and if you are not thinking extremely explicitly about how you spend those two things you'll end up 75 years old looking back thinking, geez, Louise, what did I do with all that time and attention? I just wasted it. That's a good um, point. So if you're not extremely deliberate as you move forward with that, then you're probably missing something. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I can attest to that. So all you entrepreneurs out there, I don't care what age you are, keep on doing your thing. Listen I mean, to we got you. advice. <laughs> yeah, yeah to you just advice. killed it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank cool. you, Andrew. I mean, this was uh, fascinating. I loved it. Yeah. I love, you know, your software and your concept and, you know, all the problems you're looking to solve. I think you're very thoughtful and, you know, you thought all of these different things out and you're trying to make the best solution for the industry moving forward. So we wish you the utmost success. Awesome. Well, thank you both as well. I wish you both your utmost success in your entrepreneurial journey. Yeah. Yeah. Much appreciated. We're all, we're all in the same boat here, going the same direction. So mm -hmm. we're going to do it together. <laughs> all right, you guys. Cool. With that, I'm Lit. I'm Lucid. And that's it. Laters. This episode of Lit and Lucid Podcast is produced in partnership with YooHoo Creative and Design. 
YooHoo Creative specializes in marketing, social media management, content creation, and other creative needs. YooHoo, helping your company become who you need to be. If you're interested in learning more, hit us up at yoohoocreative at gmail.com.